You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, this is the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you politics without the boring bits. Don't forget, you can join me every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1, live on Times Radio. You can listen on DAB, on Smart Speaker, online and on the Times Radio app. It's a big day in American politics today. America going to the polls. In a moment, we will bring you Henry Zeffman's Idiot's Guide to the US Election. But it's Tuesday, so our columnists picking apart the news are Finkelvich, that's Danny Finkelstein, and David Aronovich. So, obviously, big day, US politics. Um, yeah, the election, you know, although it's a big day in the sense that millions have already voted, so it's not quite the same, uh, you know, Americans go to the polls. But do we think that this campaign has changed anything? It's been a pretty extraordinary campaign. Do campaigns ever change anything, Danny? Uh, well, this campaign hasn't changed anything because you can look at the figures at the beginning and you can see them at the end and they're exactly the same. Uh, that's pretty common. Uh, but often in American elections, the conventions will change uh, the the terms of trade between the candidates uh, and obviously we didn't have the same kind of conventions in this uh, as we do normally so um, people give the debates as an example of things that change the result that's usually just applying a narrative to whatever's happening already providing some pictures for it rather than changing the outcome so essentially American political elections are decided by fundamentals the approval rating uh, the uh, uh, the economy and how long and a pendulum effect how long the party has been in office uh, for and when campaigns spend money usually it cancels each other out this time even though Joe Biden has spent a lot more money than Donald Trump pretty interesting by the way in terms of an enthusiasm gap that is normally said to go the other way uh, even though that's happened it hasn't shifted um, the polls at all so essentially we cover these things um, but we often are missing because we're covering them uh, the real story underneath it which is determined by something quite different to whether somebody turns up in a pair of sunglasses in Florida <laughs> David, um, do we end up, if, if a result, an election result, ends up being slightly different, we sort of retrospectively decide, or oh, that was the moment it turned, or that's the moment that won or lost, without us actually necessarily noticing that at the time, and particularly at the moment, um, people seem very nervous about saying what seems fairly obvious, that the um, US, uh, that Joe Biden is on course to win, is what's only what all the polls suggest, but everyone's yeah. very nervous about doing that because of last time. It's kind of fascinating, really, I mean, and reminds you that quite a lot of what we take as kind of political science 
has a slight tendency to be made up as we go along. So you remember ancient verities, which we believe for years and years and years, we were told by pollsters and uh, by the kind of grey beards of the political science industry, you know, if you couldn't, no party had ever won when it had done this badly in a local election beforehand until it, until it did. Um, and so uh, these things, things that we thought were rules turned out not to be. It all reminds me a bit of some going to a, 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 my first ever game of cricket at the Oval. And what I discovered was I couldn't see the ball. I just couldn't see it wherever it was. So I said to the person who brought me, look, I can't see the ball. He said, well, it doesn't matter. He said, if you just follow the batsman's actions and the, and the bowler's actions, that will tell you everything you need to know. And I said, well, in that case, why play with a ball? <laughs> uh, it's, it's incredibly dangerous hurling that thing at you. Why not just kind of follow everybody's actions? And the, actual, and, and the reason is that you actually require the very similitude, and it may not actually be the case that it's so kind of very predictable yeah. and so on. And the other reason is, imagine for a moment that we didn't. I mean, because, of course, actually, people have been campaigning ever since. They never stopped campaigning. Campaigning goes on at one level all the time, particularly with Donald Trump. But imagine for a moment we just said, ah, we're not going to take any notice of the campaign, etc. We're just going to pretend it's not kind of happening, etc. It's the press. We're going to kind of sit this one out. It would be most discombobulating. People would say, <laughs> where's this thing that we've expected all this time? You can't do this to us. The one thing I would say, David, is that you're, while you're right, um, that, that, that sometimes people overstate with confidence about political rules, that there is such a thing as random variation. Uh, and that means that if a rule is true, you would expect it not to work all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, I've, I've thought a lot, because I think this is probably what you're referring to about 2017, which is definitely an anomalous campaign, uh, because things changed so much between the local elections that took place at the beginning of the campaign and the result. Um, and one explanation of it, I'm not saying I think this is the correct, is just simply random variation, that that um, what you get on election day, um, you know, there's a range. So, for example, let's say the polls are completely correct uh, in terms of their measurement of American public opinion. There's still a 10% chance um, that that would lead to a Trump victory because it depends where those votes are and there's yep. a lot of variation. So, basically, if you iterate uh, something over and over again, you will get some yep. surprising outcomes. Uh, and, that's, and that's incredibly problematic for the poor old American voter because what it means is in the vast majority of places, it doesn't matter what they vote. It just doesn't only in what they call the battles, uh, uh, battleground states. And in some ways, you begin to get to the point where, for a large number of states, you don't know why anybody, where the others bother to have an election at all. Well, it's I an mean, interesting why question why people in, vote. In, in eight or ten states, given that even if, let's say, Biden gets seven million more votes uh, in the wrong places than Donald Trump, he could still lose. You couldn't possibly make a claim on the basis of that of what the American people had decided. Even well, you, the great followers of the Electoral College could would, would find it hard, would be hard pressed to do that. You could because so in the because end, the, you kind of think, why worry? Yeah, because the United States is a federal country. Uh, and so, therefore, the Electoral College they put in place on purpose, and it's designed entirely to do this uh, in precisely because the definition of what the American people think is, to some extent, a federal, no. uh, a federal calculation. I, I, respe I respect your legalism most of the oh, time. Oh, no. Jesus, <laughs> got as bad as I that. Think, I, think, I, think, I think sometimes you take it a bit too far. You can actually stretch a system to the point whereby it becomes nonsensical. You can't claim a, make a claim well, of what the, what the American people want to decide if, let's say, 
many I, million more of them vote for the, the loser. Yes, look, I think you can't. The demographic change means that they need to revisit the constitution of the electoral college, and the, the uh, you know, unfortunately, a federal system makes that very difficult. Uh, but that the the, fe the electoral college and the fact that it, it has some slight anomalies in it that is entirely deliberate. It's designed to to protect the small states against the big ones. We'll be able to revisit this and edit out the bits to make us sound very clever uh, tomorrow once we know what the outcome is. And that's you know that's basic that's that's political journalism for you. Um, let's move on and talk about um, a story that was in the Times uh, yesterday. Uh, Owen Paterson, who was a former environment secretary um, uh, in uh, David Cameron's uh, government, had given an interview to his local uh, paper the shops just start. His wife uh, sadly took her own life uh, this year. He's now starting a campaign against websites that encourage suicide. He said uh, he was investigating ways of curbing the horribly inviting websites to help protect other families. Rose Patterson, uh, she was the chairman of Aintree uh, Racecourse. She died in June. Uh, her internet search history showed that she'd been on such websites before she died. Um, David, it's a, it's a tricky one, this, isn't it? I mean, it opens up, I suppose, several questions. One, one is a question of freedom of speech, but also, again, policing the internet. And there are so many times we come up against this that, that there are things online that most people would prefer weren't there. Um, there are indeed. And, I mean, look, uh, even free speech fundamentalists take the view that people who incite acts of violence um, actually transgress the ability, their, their own uh, right for freedom of speech in, in the ma manner of the incitement. I can imagine there being suicide sites in which such a thing could conceivably happen and which I don't think freedom of speech enthusiasts would never necessarily have a great problem with them being taken down. But my problem is slightly different in this regard. It is hard for me to imagine the agony that somebody like Owen Patterson goes through when uh, a much-loved spouse kills themselves. But I think it's massively unlikely that the reason for this lies in the websites. Uh, and the very fact that she sought out the websites, as she would have to do, tells you an awful lot about this, uh, about this case. So all I'd say is, beware under these circumstances of our search for answers which palliate our pain a little bit but actually don't necessarily lead us in the right direction. I'm not sure I completely agree with that although I um so you know for example when we moved to to natural gas um people um stopped uh, uh when we, we, we people stopped committing suicide in quite the same numbers just because they didn't have the ability to do that. In other words, um, unfortunately, people commit suicide. Uh, they may have suicidal thoughts, but they converted into suicide partly through opportunity. Uh, and this means that it is very vulnerable to this kind of peer pressure. Um, so uh, although I think you're right, David, that first of all, you're obviously right that people shouldn't seek simplistic solutions and often and explanations and they often do uh, and, and 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 although you're right also that 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 um well, by the time someone's searching for a website there's something seriously wrong it probably is the case that if you curb such sites uh, you would reduce suicides we know this you know maybe listeners don't know this but newspapers have all sorts of rules about what they uh, are and are not allowed or agree yeah. among themselves that they will not uh, print about the details of people killing themselves because suicide is contagious and everyone will remember the case in Wales where uh, some young people started committing suicide and others did too and it was the case where Marilyn Monroe um, 
died, that there was a, 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 a month-long spike in the uh, suicides of young yeah. blonde women, um, people that's, who were like that, her. That's a very, that's a very strong argument. Um, but let's, take an, let's apply it to a very current situation. We have a sudden spike in Islamist terrorist attacks in cities. One of the things that seems quite plausibly clear to me is that it is actually the significant reporting and shock and horror of the early attack that could actually act as something of a spur to the subsequent attacks. In other words, people look at this and say, yeah, we're back or whatever it is that they say. Um, you could therefore argue that the reporting of the attacks in some sense themselves act as a kind of contribution to the attacks. But we would under no circumstances say that we think that the, that reporting should be curtailed uh, and so on. In other words, that's the kind of balance that you're living with all the time. And yeah. there are real balances and real problems. No, you're right. Well, that's, it's, it's a fascinating debate and probably one that we'll, we'll return to. I want to, before I let you go, uh, let's, let's lighten the mood and talk about Nigel Farage. Um, he's, ah. he's launching his uh, new party, Reform UK, uh, we talked a bit about this yesterday, but how much of a threat do you think he poses this time round, uh, Danny? Well, it's it's a quite a long way from a general election, um, but uh, it, it does pose a threat. It's fascinating that he chose that name, Reform, because that was the name that Preston Manning chose in 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 Canada, uh, and it split the Canadian Conservatives. They were out of power then for thirteen years until they basically went round in a big circle. There's a book on on it called Full Circle. It went round in a big circle and ended up exactly the same. It's just that it, the party that was called the Progressive Conservatives ended up being called the Conservatives, and. Um, couldn't win an election until they uh, reunited. So it is it is serious, but the, the the less serious aspect of it is, I mean, Nigel Farage has clearly sought an opportunity to pick a row because in March he was completely on the other side of this row, attacking the government for exactly the opposite thing, saying that Patrick Balance was underestimating how serious this was, and now he's saying that it's overestimating how serious it was without admitting that he's changed his mind. Um, he will always find a, a, an angle, um, and I'm not sure this angle is going to last him in the same way that Brexit did. Uh, by the next general election, um, you know, he may have won some local election seats. I think it could be quite serious in the short term. It could be serious in the longer term, but I'm not sure it will be because this um, this will this will run its course. Also, yeah, I, I it, saw there was a lot of conversation yesterday on social media, uh, David, with people suggesting, well, this is his opportunity to reach out to Remainers. And I thought even the most optimistic of Reform UK strategists might not think that Nigel Farage no. is the right man to front a Remainer campaign. It is absolutely his opportunity to reach out to the same people he's always reached out to because they're the same people who are mostly anti-lockdown. It's that same same kind of strata of people who were the ultra-Brexiteers. Um, not getting a deal would be really great. They, they are, by and large, intellectually, they tend to be the same people. I mean, this is the guy who, in June, his big thing was migrants crossing the boats across the Channel. But, of course, his big problem is, one... Some of them have drowned, which means that people's uh, capacity to be ultra kind of angry with them has diminished a bit. And two, it's coming autumn, winter, and they're not crossing the channel anymore. So everybody can see that he suddenly turns around and says, mm, what's the government getting it in the neck for? I know, it's lockdown, I'll be anti-lockdown. 
but I can't call yeah. myself the Brexit Party anymore because that's happened by then, uh, etc. So I'm going to call it the Reform Party. Very bad news for the guy who, that actor who started the Reclaim Party, which is the kind of, you know, <laughs> I don't know, this is the intellectual wing of the Reform Party or whatever but, it is. But it started me thinking about all those parties that used to be formed to the left of Labour that had Ken Loach in them. Do you remember <laughs> the, res the Respect, I, which was led, Respect, which I, was led by George Galloway? Was there ever I think a less it's... aptly named party? Uh, I do socialist we... Alliance, Socialist Unity, which, you know, Socialist Unity, at every conference they had, they split. <laughs> I, 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 that's true. I do think one, one should uh, point out, though, that Nigel Farage, you know, unlike Ken Loach, he is actually a very charismatic figure with a proper following um, and, and an instinct for when an issue touches a particular coalition. Um, and um, even though that wasn't his position to start with, uh, it is now. And... Um, there's a there's a market for it, and I think that uh, you know because uh, Nigel Farage, to say the least, isn't a, a figure that appeals to you and I, David. You know we yeah. shouldn't underestimate that he has got a strong appeal to a lot of people, and um, I think you have to take the things that politically uh, you have to take the positions that he adopts and the organisations that he takes from a from a electoral point of view. You do have to take them seriously because there are people who take them seriously in large number. As I, ever, I don't know about as ever, I, I think you could be too worried. <laughs> as ever, gents, I'm going to have to cut you off because we've 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 run out of time. David Ivanovich and Danny Finkelstein. You can obviously read read both, and they might. Uh, uh, Danny will be in the Times tomorrow. David on Thursday. Uh, if you'd like to read more from them, you can pick up a copy of the paper today or subscribe to the digital edition by going to times.radio forward slash subscribe. If you like what you've heard so far, then you can hear more. Subscribe to the podcast right now and listen to my show on Times Radio every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. You can listen on DAB Radio online via the Times Radio app or on your smart speaker. If you still need a bit more convincing, not to worry, there's Red Box on the way. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Now, it's polling day in the USA, but what does it all mean? What should you be keeping an eye out for? 
as you obviously join me overnight for our special results show. Tune in from 1am on Times Radio. But Henry Zeffman, in a moment, will bring you his guide to the US election for Brits and possibly idiots. Uh, but first, a reminder of the extraordinary race for the White House. With every ounce of heart and might and sweat and soul, we're going to keep making America great again. And that is why tonight I stand before you to officially launch my campaign for a second term as President of the United States. Our standing in the world, our very democracy, everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Making it official, saying he is running for president. Former Vice President is sounding a theme of progressive patriotism. I wish I could give you better news. Sanders' path to the nomination had become increasingly unrealistic ever since Joe Biden's big Super Tuesday comeback. Another name getting into the race. Kanye West has thrown his hat in the ring. The United States surpassed 170,000 coronavirus deaths on Sunday. That's according to a Reuters tally. Officials in Minneapolis hoping for calm tonight after a former police officer was charged with murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd as firefighters cooled the flames from another night of unrest and destruction. The county... Now the president walking through Lafayette Park where the protesters have been lined up for days now protesting against uh, the death of George Floyd, and it was just completely emptied out. It, it, it's just extraordinary what was done here. You're sending out hundreds of millions of universal mail-in ballots. Hundreds of millions. Where are they going? Who are they being sent to? The, the president floating, delaying the election, Chris. Your reaction? Biden has picked California Senator Kamala Harris to be his running mate, the first woman of color in history to be chosen for such a position. And I couldn't be prouder to be by his side running to represent you, the people. And I thought she was the meanest, the most horrible, most disrespectful of anybody in the U.S. Senate. Tonight, the Democratic Party will make history by holding its first national convention to nominate a president, not in person, but remotely. If we all vote, there is nothing Facebook, Fox News, and Vladimir Putin can do to stop us. Going high is the only thing that works. Because when we go low, when we use those same tactics of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. The days of cozying up to dictators is over. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight. Now, if you want to really drive him crazy, you say 12 more years. Republicans kicked off the national convention this morning in Charlotte, North Carolina and Washington, D.C. President Trump is the leader who will rebuild the promise of America and ensure that every citizen can realize their American dream. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. We will 
uphold your religious liberty and defend your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. All right, a Fox News alert now. Violence escalating overnight in Minneapolis as rioters set the city's third precinct police station on fire. President Trump reacting with surprise upon learning about the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg Friday night. I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. Voters should pick the president, and the president should pick the justice. Today, it is my honor to nominate one of our nation's most brilliant and gifted legal minds to the Supreme Court. The New York Times obtaining information on President Trump's tax returns. The Times reporting the president paid just $750 in taxes in 2016 and again in his first year in office. I welcome you to the first of the 2020 presidential debate. You would have lost far How more people. To be this is the same man. It's all set up. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists? Sure, are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that, do it? Well, I go would ahead, say sir. I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing. The president and first lady are positive for COVID-19. Now, in I want to begin by thanking all of the incredible medical professionals, the doctors, the nurses, everybody. President Trump has left Walter Reed Medical Center after being taken there Friday night. At least 18 people now connected to the president have tested positive. A third wave of the pandemic soaring today to 8 million confirmed cases in the U.S. Welcome to the first and only vice presidential debate. And I, I, I want to add, if, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. In. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes less than $400,000 a year. The fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine is unconscionable. We're going to give you hope. We're going to move. We're going to choose science over fiction. We're going to choose hope over fear. We're going to choose to move forward because we have enormous opportunities. We have to make a country totally successful as it was prior to the plague coming in from China. Now we're rebuilding it and we're doing record numbers, 11.4 million jobs in a short period of time, etc. It's going to be a hell of a night, but while many in Westminster are very keen on US elections, often to the point of obsession, it has to be said, how does a Brit sound like you know what you're talking about when it comes to tonight? Well, Henry Zeffman, the Times Washington correspondent, brings us his guide to the US election, kicking off with how the Electoral College works. <laughs> The US election is not a popular vote contest. If it were, Hillary Clinton would be running for re-election against some Republican, presumably not Donald Trump, right now, because she won about two million more votes than Donald Trump in 2016. There is not a US election, actually. That's the way I should put it. There are 51 separate elections conducted according to slightly different rules, even, and processes uh, in all the 50 states plus Washington, D.C., and each of those states is then allocated a weight uh, in the Electoral College according roughly to its population. So California has the most people living in it and therefore it has the most votes in the Electoral College. Wyoming has the fewest. And those weights then determine who becomes the president. And so which states have the most votes and therefore are the ones to watch? Well, it's not always the case that the ones with the most votes are the ones to watch. So, for example, California, which has the most is just safely in the Democratic column. That simply doesn't matter. No presidential candidate would ever spend time 
campaigning there. Occasionally they spend time fundraising there because it's got Hollywood, but that's a separate point. However, the second biggest state, Texas, used to be the counterweight to California, the Republican counterweight to California, and since 1980 has reliably been in the Republican column. This time, it looks like it's a toss-up. So for the first time, you have Texas, the second biggest electoral college state, or for the first time in a generation, two generations probably. Texas is the second biggest electoral college state, and it is really up for grabs in this election. In fact, a poll yesterday, day before the election, by reputable pollster Morning Consult in Texas, found Joe Biden and Donald Trump literally tied in Texas, you know, even to one decimal point. They were both on, I think it was 48.1%. Then actually the next biggest state, Florida, is a perennial swing state. Florida, no matter what happens in the country at large, seems to always be decided by a tiny sliver of voters. And this time it looks like it will be no exception. But, you know, some smaller states still can really influence the election. You know, we've spent a lot of the last four years talking about Donald Trump winning Wisconsin, which was a real shock to the Democrats last time. And they've been determined to win it back. But Wisconsin only has 10 electoral votes compared to California's 55 and Texas's 38 and Florida's 29. But, you know, in a close election, every single electoral college vote matters. OK, so there's been lots of talk about the scale of early voting this time, both in person and by mail. Why is this such a big deal this time and quite how many people have voted before polling day even kicks off? It is. It's extraordinary, the scale of early voting. So by Monday morning, it seemed about 95.4 million votes had already been cast, roughly two thirds of those by post and a third of them in person in early voting uh, in states which allow in person early voting. That is 69% of the total number of people who voted, be it early or on the day in 2016. So it seems pretty clear that we're on course for record-busting turnout, uh, certainly in raw numbers, but potentially even as a proportion of the eligible voting public. Because turnout proportionally in America tends to be really quite low, I mean, you know, in the 50s as it was last time. In fact, in 1996, when Bill Clinton ran for re-election, it was below 50%. I think it was 49%. America is not a high turnout country, but this time it seems to be. I mean, in some states, you have already exceeded the number of people who voted in 2016 without even having made it to election day yet. I mean, in Texas, by Monday, they were already on 108% of the total 2016 turnout. Now, partly that's just to do with population growth. Texas is a very fast-growing state. Austin, one of its cities, is the fastest growing city in the country. But it's also a sign of, of a few things. One is just coronavirus. People don't necessarily want to go to the polls, don't necessarily want to stand in a long line at the polls when people might be contagious. And coronavirus is really surging all around the country again at the moment. But it's also a mark of enthusiasm because we know that the majority of these early voters are Democrats and they're just really desperate to boot Donald Trump out of office. And I'm sure it feels good for them to check that box or push that button as it sometimes is as early as possible and finally it's a mark of fear you know lots of democrats are worried about donald trump getting up to shenanigans in terms of claiming this election is rigged or even trying to get the courts to throw out some of the later arriving votes by post so you know if as one voter in wisconsin when i was standing outside an early voting place a couple of weeks ago said to me you know I wanted to watch my vote go into the box. He had a postal vote, but he'd taken it with him because he was worried about postal delays and the operation of the postal service under Donald Trump's appoint, appointee, Postmaster General, 
and he won he took his postal vote to the early voting location and watched them put it in the box and that's the kind of level of fear and i suppose paranoia that has gripped a lot of a lot of this country uh you know before election day does huge turnout tell us anything about which way the result is going can we read into this as being particularly good for uh, the Republicans or do, good for the Democrats? Or is it just the case that this might just be all the people who would have normally turned out to vote today, but they've just got their vote in early? I, I think we should be a bit wary of pronouncing too definitively on what uh, what early voting might mean. I think the only thing we can say for sure is that, no, this is not just all the people who would ordinarily vote on election day. I think we are clearly on on, on course for a huge turnout. Whether that's good for the Democrats or Republicans is is not so clear. I think in Texas, a high turnout is very good for the Democrats. I think that suggests that the the younger voters, uh, Latino voters who have generally not bothered in Texas, uh, either because they feel left behind by the system, but also because Texas was just a safe Republican state. What's the point of going to vote? I think there is quite strong evidence that they are the people being enthused there. But in other parts of the country, there is just a, a hint that there might be a group of pro-Trump voters who didn't even turn out to vote in 2016 because they did not believe that someone like Donald Trump could win. They did not believe that the political system might reward someone like him. And now, having seen that he could win and having seen that he is president, uh, are determined to turn out and keep him there. And there are voter registration statistics over the last few months from some key states like Florida and Pennsylvania, which suggest that the Republicans have signed up more new voters onto the rolls in the past year or so than Democrats have. So there is just a, a, a flicker of evidence in some parts of the country that high turnout might even be good for Donald Trump. But in other parts of the country, an opposite story. OK, we need to talk about polls. Obviously, the easy thing that people say is the polls got it wrong last time. It's obviously more complicated than that. So how have the pollsters changed what they do to try and get it more right this time? And what are the polls telling us? The most important thing to understand about what the polls is telling us is that if they are precisely as wrong in precisely the same places, in precisely the same direction as they were in 2016, then Joe Biden will be sworn in as president on January the 20th. Donald Trump requires a polling error of a vastly bigger magnitude than took place in 2016 to win re-election. Or to put it more simply, Joe Biden's polling lead is bigger than Hillary Clinton's was. So yes, the polls overstated Hillary Clinton last time, not necessarily by as much as people think they did, but it was clearly a consequential error in terms of how people were thinking about the election. They would need to do so by a much greater extent this time for Joe Biden to lose. On top of that, the pollsters think that they're doing better at understanding what's going on in the country than they did last time. After what happened in 2016, with the benefit of exit poll data and so on, they were able to go back and assess what they thought were the, were the reasons that they, that they understated Donald Trump's vote. And basically every pollster concluded that the reason that they understated Donald Trump's vote was because they were adjusting their samples to make it representative in terms of age and in terms of race and all the things that pollsters usually wait for, social class, so on. But they were not adjusting their samples to reflect the proportion of the populations they were polling who had been to university and who had not. And once they started to do that, they found a much more accurate barometer of Donald Trump's support. And we got a test drive of that in 2018 in the midterm elections. That's elections to a third of the Senate and to the entirety of the House of Representatives and various state governors when 
pollsters trialled those new methods or used those new methods, that new weighting by university education, and they were the most accurate there'd been at any election for a decade or so. So while pollsters are not overconfident, I don't think any pollster would be overconfident or bullish about their prospects of calling this election right, given the humiliation they suffered last time, they are cautiously optimistic that they have corrected their errors in 2016. And by the way, it's worth noting, polling errors don't always flow in one direction. In 2012, at the national level, there was a bigger polling error than in 2016, but it was in the Democrats' favour. So Barack Obama actually won what lots of people, won fairly comfortably what lots of people thought was going to be a tight re-election race against Mitt Romney. So don't rule out the possibility, just as many people are understandably not ruling out the possibility of a massive polling error, which in fact means that Donald Trump is far ahead. Don't rule out the possibility that the polls are understating Joe Biden and that he could not just win comfortably, but by a, a huge history-making landslide. Just finally then, the big question. When will we get the results? Which are the states that people should be waiting up for? And is it even... Well, obviously it's worth waiting up because people should be listening to me from uh, from 1am. But will we get a result while I'm on air overnight or will it be days or weeks, as some suggest? I think there's a real turning point in the night. Early in the night, or relatively early in the night, Florida will close polls at 1am UK time and their votes will be processed quite quickly. Unless it's incredibly close, we should have a result in Florida quite quickly. If Joe Biden wins in Florida, it's game over. He's going to be president. Donald Trump doesn't have a path to the White House, which doesn't run through Florida unless something really, really odd and unforeseen happens. However, if Donald Trump wins Florida, then we are probably in for a long night. Uh, and yes, as you say, possibility is that we're in for a long week. Uh, states like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, crucial states, are not going to count quickly, or rather they're not going to be able to count their postal votes quickly to do with various tedious practices that are a bit strange, but probably too too tedious to get into now. And so if it does come down to those states, we might well be in for a long few days or weeks. But more than that, we might be in for a very fractious few days and weeks because it seems possible that Donald Trump will wrongly claim that he has won. And we know that lots of his supporters would go along with that. And we know that lots of his opponents would take that quite badly and might even take that antagonism to the streets. And look, it's with good reason that all the shops near me in downtown Washington, D.C. are boarding up their storefronts. Maybe it's out of an abundance of caution, but nevertheless, it's an abundance of caution that, that is being pursued all around the country. Um, and that is not the sign of a democracy and society at peace with itself. Just before I let you go then, Henry, we've spoken to you every Tuesday since we started on Times Radio in various um, parts of Washington and across America. This is the sort of the big day you've been gearing up for. Where will you be tonight watching the results come in and how will you be keeping yourself sustained? Well, it seems fitting for 2020, the year of coronavirus, or perhaps depressingly the first year of coronavirus, uh, that I will be watching in my living room simply because there doesn't seem a better place to be doing what I'll be doing through the night, which is filing several late copy for several late print editions of The Times, but then also, of course, through the night for our website as well. You know, neither campaign is having a sort of major party as they would in normal times, which perhaps I might have gone to. But look, if it kicks off in Washington, D.C., uh, it will kick off near me and I'm sure I'll go out and report on that. How will I be keeping myself sustained? I've not considered that yet. When I covered UK general elections, I would do it in the office in front of um, 
in front you know with with colleagues including you matt um so i you know i would keep my snacks normal for 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 appearances sake you know tangerines and trail mix and all of that but you know who knows what i'll be doing in the privacy of my own home um i've got some very nice uh sort of like slightly weird cheese then they're sort of american baby bells but without the wax covering which i might partake of um i've got some leftover ethiopian takeaway which will probably keep for another day so maybe i'll be heating that up at various points of the night but um i will happily keep you abreast of what i've eaten when i appear on your overnight election night program uh, well, that is Henry Zeffman there from Washington. And he'll be joining me overnight on Times Radio. Now, Henry says he's relying on cheese and Ethiopian leftovers, but how do the pros get through election coverage? Well, recently I spoke to David Dimbleby and I asked him how I should prepare for the big night. Just spend from now till election night learning every single state and every, you know, all the key issues in every state. Because in the end, it comes down to that and people forget that. Uh, that's the thing. On the physical side, nothing at all. Adrenaline will keep you going, Matt. You don't worry about that. Fantastic. It's exciting. But the more you know about it, the more you know about it, um, the more you've sort of boned up on it. That's obvious advice, isn't it? Um, and, and, oh, I know. I know the other thing is, um, it, it's, an in, it's an odd thing to say, but remember that it's a big story. So don't get bogged down by the detail of Florida. You know. <laughs> There's a big <laughs> you know picture I mean. to focus don't, on. Don't yeah, yeah, say, yeah. oh, Iowa, that's really interesting. It is interesting, but actually the bigger story is who's going to be president and you have to keep that in mind all the time. So it's a drama told through minutiae. There's David Dimbleby there. Um, I, I have been doing my homework. Callum McDonald has got an amazing spreadsheet for all of the the key states uh, that we've both been uh, studying. Uh, so join me from 1am uh, with the Times Radio US election special. I'm in London. Tom Newton Dunn is in uh, Washington. I will obviously speak to all the Times and Sunday Times US correspondents across the states. Don't forget you can join me every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1, live on Times Radio. Tune in on DAB Radio, online via the Times Radio app or on the smart speaker. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.